0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Base Life Podcast, episode forty-eight. In this episode, we introduce to you a man that literally started skydiving the year that I was born. Uh, Neil Jarvis is a Kiwi base jumper whose uh, number is like base six fifty-one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, either way, we had a lot of fun talking to Neil about like uh, the progression of sports and four-way teams and so many other fun topics. So. With all that being said, uh, I introduce to you Neil Jarvis. Three,
1: two, one, see ya. You're listening to the Beast Life Podcast with your hosts, Randy
0: and Brian. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Base Life Podcast. Neil Jarvis, thank you for joining us. Thanks for
2: having me, Randy. Yeah, How are you you feeling? Pretty good. Jet lag's been beaten. Had a week in Europe, so I'm over the 12-hour, 10-hour time difference now.
0: Yeah, where where are you coming
2: from? So, had six days in Paris, medical conference. So, it's on the company Dime. They flew me out. So, sitting down for six days, hearing updates in cardiovascular medicine. Now, I'm on my own time, so I've got 10 days away. So, just uh, switching off.
0: Beautiful, and, th- and they flew you all the way to Europe, and then you just made your way to
2: Lauterbrunnen. and yes, that's a regular sort of event for me. End of August, same conference, and then take one to two weeks out. Very cool. Back to the grind. Yeah, very cool.
0: Um, what is it What is it you do when you're not base jumping? What's your uh, daytime profession?
2: Yes, yeah, so Monday to Friday, I work for a German pharmaceutical company. So the company's called Boehringer. Most people don't know it. But the areas of interest for us are breaking down blood clots, so if someone has a heart attack or a stroke, um, and treating patients that have lung disease related to smoking. So I'm in the cardiovascular side.
0: Oh, very cool. So when you see smokers, is that, uh, it's like, ah, oh, keeping you in business?
2: <laughs> um, keeps the morgues in business, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And there's that. Yeah. If our, our sport does a good job of that too, I suppose, keeping the morgues in business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do. Very cool. Yeah, thanks for uh agreeing to sit down with us. I w- I was really stoked when uh you gave us that little notif- notification that you're gonna be coming. I think you tagged us in a photo or something and it was like, Oh, Neil's gonna be in town.
2: Yeah, well, I'm sitting down and I've got a beer, so it's all good so far. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah, we uh, this this is a trend now. It's like uh, I'll be on the fence for whether or not I want to come down and then I'll get like uh someone'll ping me and then on top of that, someone else had some equipment that they wanted brought to the valley, and then, uh, you know, Cherie got hurt, so I was like, well, I, I should probably go see her in the hospital, so it was like... Yeah, running I felt like he ran yeah. out of excuses to say no. Yeah, I can't, can't say no, really, you know, and especially stuff like that, so so here we are, and uh, yeah, this is exciting. So, here we are in the upstairs bar. You know, props, or thank you to uh, Charlie and the Horner for always letting us record here, and have fun! I uh, we are we are drinking. It, the episode right before this one uh, is I maybe learned a couple of lessons about uh, monitoring my uh, intake before before we start recording. So
2: so this is your first beer?
0: Not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. I
1: think it might be the first beer in the past half hour.
0: Yeah, we we had a nice night last night. So maybe in the races, the Jungfrau marathon was going on. So you know. Good, good. sipped on one or two while we watched people run for 26 miles See, It's 10 pretty impressive isn't morning. it at 10, it's, it was five o'clock somewhere yeah <laughs> maybe not here <laughs> but it is what it is so. so yeah so neil um let's let's talk about skydiving and base jumping like how did how did you get into the sports like uh let's let's get do some background
2: yeah sure so you got to turn the clock back a long way, so I'm actually an old guy. Most people think I'm a lot younger than what I am, so I'm actually 53. So it kicked off uh, back in 1983. So I was 17, still at school. Yeah, Randy's pulling a funny face. People can't see that. Yeah, I was born in 1983. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the year you were born, I started parachuting. Um, so last year at school, simple drop zone, Cessna, static line, four and a half gear, Cape Wells. You probably haven't seen Cape Wells, have you? I don't even know what a cape well um, is. Nah, yeah, so yeah, yeah.
0: Wait, what's a Capewell?
2: So prior to three-ring cutaway systems, you had a Capewell system, which was just this complicated bit of metal that was hard to use and had a tendency to hang up. So horrific stuff. So you started Survived that. <laughs> hey? You survived that. Yeah, just because it was uh, pretty primitive gear. It really was. You know, fore and aft, and people would have reserves going past, open cape wells, bridles get caught on them. So... Yeah, scary stuff. So I was jumping at school, continued through university, and pretty much got into four-way as a youngster. That's all I wanted to do, you know, go out charging four-way, 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 which was kind of tough when you're at university, so you had no money. So I was one of those drop zone rats sort of living on second-hand food, <laughs> didn't own anything, didn't have anything, and finished up uni when I was 21, 22 with about a 1,000 jumps, um, chomping at the bit. Um, and then sort of pressed on for another seven or eight years and then pretty much called it quits with skydiving in 99 after our team went to the world meet. Um, the team broke up, it was all my good buddies and we all moved on to different things, so still keep in contact.
0: Where, where was the world meet? Uh,
2: in 99 it was in Australia, um, Korowa from memory. Yeah. Right. So How would you guys do? Our ratchet. Yeah. So <laughs> by 1999, you had professional teams, right? So this is where guys are doing 800, 1,000 jumps a year. Wind tunnels so were just starting to come into, into being. So for amateur teams, especially when you're earning a peso, which is what the New Zealand dollar is, um, it's pretty hard to do you know, that sort of amount of jumping. So we'd do 250 jumps a year. We were amateur, but um, having a lot of fun. Yeah, having heaps of fun. 250
0: bu- jumps a year is pretty pretty uh solid for a, a fun jumper though i mean that's
2: yeah we were pretty keen yeah yeah i had a lot of fun
0: yeah i mean i because I, I got started in college as well uh and i think i did 150 jumps total all four years you know? right oh, wow. yeah, weekend jumper and you know, we had two little cessnas usually only one was running and yeah and it was and poor college students same same uh scenario not not as much drive. I wasn't. We didn't. I didn't have enough friends that skydived to do a four-way team. But
2: right. Yeah. <laughs> but
0: yeah, very cool. So, how did from there? How did you find your way into? Uh, did you stop? Did you pick up bass when you stopped skydiving, or how did that? Um,
2: yeah, that's actually a sort of a long story. We got more than I a couple of minutes left. We, we yeah, got a lot yeah, of time. Okay. all the time you want. So you got to turn the clock right back now. So it's um, 1989. So we went to the World Meet in Spain, which was super cool. Just a real scratch eight-way team. Um, spent three weeks into land training, which was a real eye-opener for a young Kiwi who's 23. In you know, 1989, there was a lot of stuff happening in Florida. won't say too much more. <laughs> Mum's not <laughs> listening. And on the way back, um, a few of us stopped at Paris Valley, and I was really keen to do some base jumping. So this is the era pre-digital, no movies. It was all books and there used to be books called Sky's Call. It was three volumes, and all it was was beautiful pictures of skydiving, skydiving from the late 70s, early 80s. And there were some pictures of guys base jumping our Cap and some big antennas, and I thought, that's just the coolest stuff. Man, I just want to do that, which was pretty darn near impossible living in New Zealand in 1989. Lo and behold, I'm packing at Paris Valley, and I'm talking to some friends, and Halliwell, that I'd like to do a base jump. And she said, you need to talk to that guy. Um, so I went and spoke to that guy. His first name's Keith. I won't give you a surname. He may not want that public. And he was like, oh, I was up at our Cap last week. Don't really want to go back there. And I'm like, oh, come on. I you know, don't really want to go. I'll pay for your gas. And he said to me, is there anyone else that wants to go? And it just so happened that my good buddy Dave Hall was there. Dave's since passed away. But I yelled out to Dave, Dave, do you want to do our Cap? And he's like, yeah, game on. So 36 hours later, we're at the top of our uh, cap with uh, an SST racer, a pull out pilot chute, pilot and a nine cell canopy. <laughs> so that was 1989.
0: Very cool. I mean, and obviously, it didn't have vents or anything like that. Like, that was all. No, no. This just yeah. had
2: to round reserve in the back, and it was all oh, pretty okay.
0: Wow. That's really. And was You said it was a pull out. So did you go handheld? No, or? so this was a
2: out pilot chute which you don't see much of anymore so the way they work for anyone who's under the age of 40 is you have a little pud on the bottom right hand corner of your rig and that pud directly connects to your pin and the pin is flat so you physically pull the pin out and the pilot chute is packed inside the container so you can't get a pilot chute in tow is it spring-loaded no, so you no. physically pull the pilot chute out like you would with a BOC, but you've opened the container. Huh. So it's actually a pretty cool system, unless the pud gets knocked off, in which case it floats. And we used to call them bunny tails. So a floating bunny tail was the pud that was floating around the back. And if you've got long arms, like I have, it was never an issue. You just pick it up. Um, so it's been superseded, but for a while they were pretty popular.
0: Very cool. Who Who made that equipment?
2: Um, so that was pretty common on SST races, which was a okay. top top um, I don't know how frequently they were applied to other containers at the time, uh, but definitely on vectors from memory. But it was the norm at our drop zone. People were jumping pull-outs, which was okay. the abbreviation for them. Yeah.
0: Very cool. And did you did you pack that differently?
2: Uh, no, it was just a trash pack into a bag. <laughs> so huh. it was literally the rig that I'd worn for 100 jumps with the 8-way team being packed in exactly the same way um going off our cap which in hindsight wasn't a smart thing to do but it's hindsight isn't it
0: right when you you look at those uh i love sunshine superman that documentary oh for you know for our generation of jumper i'm watching that like oh no don't do but we've learned so many lessons from the previous generations that it's uh yeah, you see them like
2: jumping rounds and stuff off buildings, and you're like, what? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I think someone once said, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. You know, there's someone that sort of took the first step, literally. Yeah. And it was just learn, learn, learn. And I think we're so lucky to have people that have done that for us, so we're not having to repeat the same mistakes. You know, there's just been so many advances. It's just wonderful.
0: Yeah. So LCAP was your first uh, object?
2: Yeah, it was. So I came back to New Zealand just chomping at the bit. It's like, woohoo, let's. Get this on. Let's just. What can we do? And it just so happened that a few months later there was a decent building going up in Auckland, which uh, I won't say too much about. But uh, yeah, we static lined it, but not knowing any better at the time, we just used conventional skydiving gear, Pegasus canopy, a Wonderhog container, which you guys would never have seen or heard of. Nope. No, no, every, everyone's accurate. shaking. Everyone's shaking. Their heads here. <laughs> heard of it,
1: but I've never seen one in person. Yeah, look in a
2: museum, you might find one. Yeah. So, this was really cool because we had to sort of climb up this crane and then inch along a boom with your rig packed, you know, static line. We'd actually taken the pilot chutes off. So it was, yeah.
0: So the static line with no pilot chute. That's it. So
2: the uh, static line was connected to the top of the canopy. So, in hindsight, it was just suicide. Um, But again, not knowing any better. So, we had to inch along this boom, which was wet and greasy, to get to this basket at the end. Which was just terrifying. Like, you know, here's this 22-year-old kid, just shaking, thinking, how can I back down? But I had two mates with me, and none of us were going to back down. So 20 minutes later, you're in the boom, and it's like, thank Christ, I've made it. So jumping off was the easy part. It was like, thank God that's done.
0: Uh, Yeah, sometimes the jump is the easiest part. I mean, yeah, no matter what level you're at, you know, you find yourself on a hike with a sketchy section or... At the top of a building. Totally. Mm. Everyone's
2: done it, haven't they? Anyone that's been jumping for a while, there's always been a real sketchy part where you think, fuck, I just want to back out of this. And there's a stupid part of your brain that says, nah, press on, press on.
0: Do you ever want... You know, it's like what your friends are thinking at the same time. Like, they're probably having the exact same thoughts, but, like, nobody's actually
2: saying it. 100%, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we knocked that off, and then it was, where to from here? And there was nothing. So New Zealand doesn't have... Bridges, you know, our highest bridge is a beautiful bridge And it's 260 odd feet That's a 5 hour drive from where I live Landing area's alright? Yeah, beautiful, it's right. absolutely magical So no names, but if you're in New Zealand sure. There's a lovely bridge, you've got to go and jump it um, The antennas are invariably AM oh, That sucks, we don't have windmills um, And then the cliffs Which are available Now it's all changed, but a few years back It was just a bunch of scabby 350 foot cliffs So I sort of put things on hold and then got back into jumping as such, like getting into it as a sport in 2000. So a trip to Chirag, and then jumping regularly since then, so 19 years of regular jumping. Very
0: cool. And and so obviously you came from like a, a mentor-esque sort of path. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like uh, Yeah,
2: sure. So I, I turned up at Chirag thinking this is a skydive. Okay, completely wrong mindset, but not knowing any better. better. Um, I'd bought a rig. And I was super lucky that, again, my buddy Ann Halliwell was there. So most people know Anne. I think anyone that's been around for a while knows Ann. She's just the coolest of cool people.
0: Yeah, if anyone is a regular listener of this podcast, they know that I regard her as a, a guardian angel. She was literally there for my first jump.
2: Yeah, so she's a rock star. So being a fellow Kiwi, she sort of took me under her wing. And her partner at the time, JJ, and I got on really well. So after my 10 or 12 jumps at Shirag, I arranged to meet him in the States and to pay for him to be a mentor for me for like four or five days, so JJ taught me to pack, uh, taught me the basics. We went and jumped some cliffs and a bridge, and I think on jump number twenty off a five hundred foot building in downtown LA, which was a kind of a cool way to get get your base number. Yeah. Uh, then we ended up becoming good buddies and jumped regularly for the next three or four years.
0: So you got your base number in twenty jumps.
2: Yeah, it might have been less than that. If it wasn't wow. less, it was twenty or twenty one. Awesome. But, uh, Do you
0: mind if I ask, uh, what that number is? Yeah,
2: 651.
0: 651.
2: Very yeah, cool. That's old school, huh?
0: That is, that's so cool. In the, in the triple digits. <laughs> I, I've met a couple of dudes that in, in the double digits, but, uh. Um, yeah, I think double digits is cool. Yeah, that's, but still, um, 651. I'm, I'm 1542 for what it's worth. And I, I got it in 2011, I think. Nice. But, yeah, I don't know where the numbers are at now, but, um, yeah, some people are, like, pro number, some people are anti-number, like, I don't really care about the number, I, I like the idea of it, of being a part of something bigger, you know, and being a part of a, an evolution, and I think that's one good way to track it, you know, it's, uh...
2: Yeah, I think there's some good things about it from a statistics point of view, you can mm-hmm. look at the numbers and how they've changed over time, and it kind of gives you a crude metric for how many people are in the sport so initially if the numbers went up hypothetically by 50 a year, now they're going up, say, by 200 a year, not knowing anything else, you might infer that there's four times as many people jumping. A whole bunch of reasons why that may not be accurate, but it's a crude measure, isn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah, it's something. And it's like uh, you belong to a piece of history, you know. And
2: Yeah, for me it was more, gosh, it's going to scare the bejesus out of me, and it's self-accomplishment, so mm-hmm. it's not something that, you brag about is it In right. fact, there's a lot of people who don't know that i base jump you know people that i work with um they know that i do stuff with parachuting but some of them think it's a paraglider so that's something i tend to keep more on the back burner than on the front burner
0: was it always like that or did you over time just realize that it's just sometimes harder to talk about with with people who don't understand or yeah that's it
2: yeah you, because you get the same five questions don't you mm-hmm. oh how could you do that and you give a civil response mm-hmm. i could never do that And then the part of your brain, which is actually factual and rational, goes, no, you never would, you never could, because you don't have whatever characteristics you want to have to do that sort of thing, and that comes across as arrogant. Right. So then you give the staple response, well, you could, you just have to commit to it and do some skydiving, it's a long process, and it wears pretty thin after a while. So it's easiest just to avoid any discussions.
0: Yeah, I used to uh, be pretty vocal about it when I was younger and a little more hungry, and I couldn't go to the printer at work. Like, I couldn't go to the hallway without someone, like, bringing up jumping. And over time, it was just like, I'm not, like, I, I, got, I got stuff to do. Like, I don't totally. have time, i got you know, a life outside of this. I can't do, you know, I can't have a 20-minute conversation about, you know, jumping as much as I want to. I have things I have, so I, I've learned to basically just shut up.
2: Yeah, so I say to my folks, hey, please don't tell your friends that I base jump. Because then every time <laughs> you meet them, it's the same questions. Yeah. Same with my partner, don't tell your friends I base jump that way you can just have a normal conversation yeah
0: yeah outside of work i don't care as much uh, i mean it's it, somehow if it, it, it always finds its way there but i also have a podcast about talking about base jumping so you know yeah. <laughs> i kind, kind of have to talk Pot, about kettle, it kettle black yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean
3: i'm in this i'm in the same boat as far as like what to do about talking about it because instead of like, Randy hides it. I decided I'm just going to be blatantly out there about it yeah. and and not hide it just because it is a part of who I am. Totally. And and I respect that. It's it's easier for me to be honest about what I am and what I do than it is to try and, like... Tuck it away. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody says, hey, what do you do this week at all? I went and did this amazing thing. I show them pictures. They go nice nuts. But, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's like, oh, like I just started school and the professor, like... Because the admissions lady was there, she was like, "Oh, did you did you hear what he does?" And all of a sudden, at orientation, the entire faculty
1: now knows. Oh, yeah. this is the base jumper,
2: Brian Shannon. And base I'm jumper. Like,
3: it's good. It's bad. It has its pros, its cons. But in I, reality, th- I think
1: it's actually really interesting because at my work, they people brag about me. Uh, like, oh, Tim's a base jumper, and I'm like, oh, so okay, I don't necessarily talk about it. I talk about work things. I talk about the, the normal work conversations, but sometimes I talk base jumping that they know, but it, sometimes it puts you in that uncomfortable conversation. Uh, but it, there's a few people at work is just, Oh, did you know Tim base jumps when they directly introduce me? When you're trying to put that professional work relationship forward, I don't know if it's the best thing to say, Oh, Tim's a base jumper or it is. Maybe it is depending on the work situation.
2: Hmm. Yeah, so you can use it to your advantage sometimes yes Yes. yeah yeah
0: yeah so so base in 20 ish give or take and then uh let's talk about more of this uh, what how what year was that when uh when you got your base number
2: Uh, that would have been 2000 okay
0: so um i was no i didn't start i I did my first guy's 2002 um so what what else what was going on in 2000 in the sky world? Let's uh, talk about that a little bit. In
2: skydiving? Yeah.
0: We'll or just it? in sky. I saw the sky. I put I lump it all together. Skydiving, BASE jumping. A
2: yeah. So I sort of really stopped jumping in '99. Uh-huh. Okay. Because I couldn't see a point that I could get to that I'd be happy with because it was just a money vacuum. And to do four way, you have to have four people that have the same ability the same attitude and the same availability. Dedication. Yeah, there was an old Canadian guy called um, Graham. His nickname's Bunny. I've forgotten his surname, but he was in the Canadian eight-way team in the late late 70s. And he said, you know, good jumpers need three things. They need the ability. So you've got to have that skill set. He said they've got to have the attitude, which is wanting to get there and making the sacrifices, and the availability, which is kind of tied in with the first one, which is being able to front up with the money. So trying to find, you know, three other people that can bring the same commitment to the table is really tough. So when our team broke up, and they're all my best mates, so, you know, 20 years later we're still in contact, get on the phone. It's not like a fallout kind no, of No, not at all. You know, these like, guys oh, are, gonna... these are my mates, and outside mm-hmm. of skydiving we'd do other stuff, you know, go kart racing, go scuba diving, hunt crayfish, woohoo. so we'd go charging. Um, but then it, there wasn't a group of people who I wanted to connect with, you know, it's so after Close to 16, 17 years of skydiving, I was like, nah, time to move on. But uh, base jumping was sort of the continuation and it's sort of gave me a new zest for life. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's awesome. So, when was your last skydive?
2: Um, it's funny, I got back into jumping about three years ago, and the only reason for that was I'd changed my wingsuit, so I got a Kalugo too. And I thought, man, this is so different from my Phantom, I can't go on base jump, I've got to go skydiving. And it was like, god damn it, my canopy's not appropriate. You have to have an AAD. So when I was jumping, AADs were <laughs> just been invented. And got back into it and did about 25 jumps on my Kalugo over the summer um, to start feeling comfortable with it. And it didn't really click with me. Something was missing. And I don't know whether it was because I was wingsuiting, whether because my buddies weren't there, whether it was the drop zone. And it's a commercial drop zone, so it's very heavily focused tandem didn't enjoy it it was work and i was simply doing the work to get myself safe so i could take my new suit base jumping which i then did the following season very cool
0: yeah i'm a, I'm a fan of the Klugo too uh, that was uh that was my first bigger wingsuit uh, but uh yeah i feel you, some it's weird how some drop zones can uh either like give you that juice and you're like oh i want to be here or or you're i'm here to get something done and then i'm gonna you know
2: yeah, so it's a means to an end, isn't mm-hmm, it? Exactly. So there's a stage in your jumping career where you'd spend all your money going skydiving. Now, if someone offered me money to go skydiving, I'd rather sit at home and read a book. That's mm. you know, <laughs> too hard.
0: Well, I would rather read a book than get paid to jump out of a plane. Pretty it. much, yeah. You'd have to pay <laughs> me bloody
2: well to jump out of a plane now. <laughs>
0: that's funny. Yeah, when I was getting paid to jump out of planes, there were days where I would rather have been reading books. But, um, yeah, but you you always go back and forth, you know, it's like.
3: Is what it is. So That's
2: which better. suit are you jumping now? So I'm in my Caligo. The uh, same one? Yep, same one. So I've done c- close to 200 jumps on it. Yes. It's comfortable. I'm really happy with it. Uh, there's so much more for me to learn. But the most important thing is I feel safe in it. So mm-hmm. the jumps that I do, and I'm a pretty conservative kind of a guy. I'm an old guy. Um, it suits everything that I need. So the limiting factor is me, not the suit. And there's just so much more to learn from it. So it's going to be with me for quite some time. But like the old Phantom phantom was with me i think for 300 jumps yeah yeah very cool phantom's a good suit yeah i love it it's kind of yeah. like having a beautiful wife and a mistress <laughs> which one do you choose between well it depends which day it is yeah just don't tell her i'm lucky which my, yeah, my wife and mistress are the same so I know what
0: <laughs> that's awesome so do you um do you find that you spend a lot because t- these days it seems like there's a new suit coming out all the time um, but do you do you find that you just, you stick to a suit for a while and like try and like get the max per, like really max that suit out and get the full performance?
2: Yeah, so I'm in a situation where I can't do as much jumping as I like. You know, I live in New Zealand. Um, there's now a bunch of really good wingsuiting in New Zealand. So Dave Walden has completely transformed the sport there. He's opened up so much, and he's a super nice guy, and incredibly talented. But a lot of the jumping's outside of my skill set. Mm. So I have to hone my skills somewhere which is more user-friendly, say Jungfrau, the Eiger, Kandersteg, they're all classic jumps. Sputnik, which are all nice intermediate jumps, and you refine that, and then the next step would be trying to tackle some stuff in New Zealand. Mm. So I'll stick with the Kalugo simply because I feel safe in it, and I don't want to have to go back through that learning cycle of jumping out of a plane. So the best thing for me to do would be to get some coaching. You know, find mm-hmm. someone say, hey, look, can you give me some pointers? What am I doing wrong? What would you recommend in terms of changing what I'm doing? So that's, that would be the next step. Sure.
3: Unless he tells you to go skydive.
2: Well, yeah, that's, that's a tough <laughs> one because on this trip I thought, would I be better off coming to Switzerland, you know, 10 days or maybe go to somewhere like Dubai and do some skydiving there and getting some coaching? And it was like, yeah, which way do I go?
0: But they didn't pay you to go to the Middle East; they paid you to go to Europe. <laughs> yeah, but here's, here's the kicker:
2: they paid for me to get to Europe and also back to New Zealand, and I fly through Dubai. Ah, so yeah, there you go. so how you heard, just to rub it sol- <laughs> So it's a free trip. It's at the front of the plane. Really long layover, <laughs> and there's no issue. My my boss is super cool. He's really happy with that. So I could have taken a week off and gone to Dubai, and it was sort of which way do I go? You know, I'm at that crossroads now. Mm-hmm. Um, So we'll see what happens early next year or maybe over Christmas.
3: Very cool. Do you ever ever fly with a fly
2: Really good question. And this is incredibly embarrassing. I was going to
3: say technology.
2: Yeah, so I've got one. And I tried to use it and I fucked it up. And the smart thing would be to talk to someone that's 20 years younger than me and get them to show maybe me how it works or yeah you're gonna have to
0: go lower than that because yeah, I, no, really? <laughs> I don't understand like them either right. i've had one for a while and i still i'm like Ugh. so
2: i've got this old laptop and i struggled with it maybe it's because the laptop's 10 years old and it doesn't take the software or yeah, i'm still in 1995
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i was actually talking to mavs the other day like because he's he's getting on the fly site stuff pretty hard and uh, uh mavs and tj because tj was gonna do some wingsuit stuff but, and i'm like yeah you figure that stuff out and then just uh give me some tutelage because i uh,
2: don't know yeah but, but that's easy fix isn't it so yeah. effectively i'm saying i'm lazy so yeah. Yeah, i should pull my head out of my ass right and well and there are dudes
0: that do coaching now via fly site data like they can nice. they can analyze data from the fly site and tell you what you're doing yep, at certain they're points. doing virtual coaching now you
3: send right. them your fly site flight yep and they will tell you exactly what you were doing while you were flying and where you can improve on it
2: cool open. yeah i'm lucky most of my friends are better jumpers than me so quite often when we're doing two ways, I use them as a benchmark in terms of my starts, what my flying's like, distance, etc. So it's a surrogate way of getting some feedback.
0: Yeah, that's a good habit to have, just to have friends that are better than you at something so that you're always totally. improving. Yeah, right? yeah. You're always Do you want to learning.
2: be the best person in the team or the worst person? Yeah,
0: the, the, and improving you know yeah. like uh,
2: <laughs> yeah being the worst person you're always under the heat so mm-hmm. you want to be the second worst person <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't want to be the slowest uh antelope or whatever that's running away from the lion it but just, just the second slowest, slowest. Yeah. <laughs>
2: that's <laughs> so true that's awesome can i just say that Everyone's got a beer here and Randy's actually drunk the most so far. Right, and I'm sitting here like September. I was like oh, yeah. so
0: sober September's R- not going Randy's so well. Sober. I'm still on
2: half a pint after 20 odd minutes so.
0: Yeah, I was looking at it like I this is it's a tactical pause do I drink now and then I'm like no you're almost there. Like, but there's a
2: full fridge behind your body, so I you buddy. I know.
3: <laughs> that was the problem with the last recording. <laughs> and there's a difference between a sip and a gulp. Yeah,
0: I don't I don't know how to sip.
2: Yeah, I'm a beer a day man, so I think anyone that knows me, they'll see I have my one beer. It's pretty unusual mm-hmm. a second beer, maybe at Christmas or my birthday. <laughs> yeah. That's, <laughs> that's why I can nurse this out for two hours.
3: Yeah, that's tough.
2: You can <laughs> use the... Can use the ah, boing. There you go. Bingo. All right, so
3: I know you're an avid
2: reader. Yep, big reader. Bit, bit of an intellectual. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, man. I'm still working. Smart I, I people mean, have retired I at 50. I didn't mean
3: it, like, seriously. <laughs> I just was being nice. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> but uh, what was your – so you said you have a book you're yeah. reading. What is your current, current book you're reading?
2: Yeah, so the current book – I'll actually tap you about the book prior to that. But the current book, it's a history book. It's a history novel. Um, it's about a Roman guy called Vespasian. Now, what's cool about him is when you walk through Rome, everyone goes to the Colosseum. So he's the guy that actually built the Colosseum. Yeah, so he's an interesting guy. You know, he sacked Jerusalem, or in fact his son sacked Jerusalem. So the reason I'm reading the book, which is a, it's fiction, is it's very accurate to detail, and it's a nice way of then getting into the non-fiction after it. So the book which I read prior to that was about Napoleon. And the only reason I read the book about Napoleon is because he's such a name, and I realized I knew jack shit about him, and I was going to be in Paris.
0: Have you been to his tomb?
2: Bingo! Yeah. So I was there literally five, six days ago. So I went up to the French um, Army Museum, which is mm-hmm. really cool. Right. So super cool. Spent hours in there looking at Napoleonic uniforms, etc. And then sort of paid a bit of homage to the the great man. Um, so having read the book before, it just gives you a bit of sense of appreciation for what he had done and some of the things that you're looking at. So the book was by a guy called Andrew Roberts, and it was Napoleon the Great. So it's sort of birth to death, eight hundred pages, and it was easy reading. So it sort of talked you through everything that he's done. So I was pretty impressed with the guy.
0: Nice. Eight hundred pages is no short read either. That's uh that's uh that's cool. It was an easy read.
2: Yeah, I'm a big reader. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah.
0: have to yeah. when I'm editing this I'm gonna write that down, add it to the show notes and then
3: see, look it up. How long does eight hundred pages take you?
2: Um, I was lucky, so here's, here's the upside. So, my partner's Argentinian. She went back to Argentina with our son over the Christmas holidays. <laughs> so, I'm home alone. I'd probably knock that off in a week, couple of weeks. Mm. Yeah. Nice.
0: So, that's what you do when uh, when the wife and kids are gone? Man, I read.
2: Dude, I Just read before work. Wild night of reading at that's the, it, buddy, <laughs> it's at the a Jarvis house. All that's, that's it, man. And blow. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You won't find me in the bar after 9 o'clock. I'll be in bed reading. Yeah sounds tragic doesn't it (laughs) hardly i'm kind
0: of jealous i'm like oh that'd be kind of (laughs) nice i'll
2: probably look back when i'm 70 going why wasn't i in a club when i was 30 waving my arms in the air uh nah fuck that
0: (laughs) i'd just be happy to get there (laughs) at this rate (laughs) that's
3: awesome and then okay so that was your recent book and then your favorite book
2: yeah so this is a hard question because everyone's going to think i'm a complete fucking geek like we ask everybody this, this question, oh, really? by the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, What's the best answer you've had so far? Because I know, like, you know Dan Whitchell's Dan the Man? Yeah, yeah, Dan does not read books, full stop. Okay, I'm going to get this fucker whilst he's not here. Dan reads magazines. Mm. And the first thing Dan does when he walks into any apartment, I know we're digressing, but say we're road tripping, mm-hmm. is he turns on the TV, he flicks through the channels to find the music channel, turns it on, and then he walks away. So you'll never see Dan Whitchell's reading. So now that I've got that out there, I'll give you the answer to my, to the question.
3: Wait, so are we saying Dan Wichels does not know how to read?
2: No, he can read, but he doesn't read.
3: I'm going to go with Dan Wichels is illiterate. Uh, I, Dan
0: who Dan is, is Who illiterate. is Dan the man? Sorry, I, didn't read. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. I I heard he's an illiterate guy. Yeah, does he teach base jumping or something? Is he
2: British? Oh, he's 39. 39, he's still 39. 39. Still 39. Yeah. So if you're trying to find him, he's th- and he wears this jade and white. Mm. I think it's green but he tells you that it's jade which is Chinese for I don't know green? <laughs> elegance and <laughs> fuck I don't know some some something so the, yeah the last book I read that I really enjoyed was um, a book on Julius Caesar and the author is a guy called Adrian Goldsworthy who's a British writer um, so again it's a big thick biography on the guy but uh, yeah pretty impressive uh, just in terms of what's being done what he did so.
0: Nice. Nice. Were there any takeaways uh, from that uh, from that book, or?
2: Yeah, I think there's still hope for me because, like I'm a history buff, right? Mm-hmm. Fuck, I don't know if I'm digging a really deep hole, and you guys are setting me up beautifully. But um, when Alexander the Great died, I think he was 32 or 33, and Julius Caesar lamented when he was 40 that he'd done nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? And he was really fucking pissed. Like I'm 40 and I've done nothing. And then he went and slaughtered a whole bunch of Gauls, came through parts of Switzerland, caused a civil war, and then became first man in Rome. And I think he was 56 when he died, so he was born in 100 BC, and I think he was assassinated 44 BC, that's at 56. So I'm 53 and I've done jack shit with my life. So there's still hope for me yet. <laughs> you got
0: three more years to sack yeah. gall and yeah, uh, get stabbed. A <laughs> two
2: brute. H- hang,
3: hang, out up, hang out here in the upstairs bar a few more times and yeah, see what you know
0: I might I get s- stabbed.
2: <laughs> yeah, my life might change.
0: Yeah, which uh, I thought was an interesting. Not to completely take the conversation elsewhere, but the, this is probably we're at 35 minutes. This is probably the longest. You've been in the
2: upstairs bar? It's a record. So before we got in here, I said uh, I've been in here twice. So I've been in Lauterbrunnen jumping since 2002. We came in here for a wake. I think it was for Nico. People were drinking. And for another reason, which I can't recall. And I think I lasted 15 minutes both times. Mm. (laughs) Because this place is a fucking dump. (laughs) It is, isn't it? Have a look around It's a dump It smells of stale beer Love you, Horner (laughs) There's a camera looking at me Like, Christ, I'm going to steal something from here (laughs) And there's furniture Which It was made in 1960 The floor's from 1930 Like, why the hell would you come in here and spend money?
0: The, the dan- so the dangerous part is the upstairs bar opens it opens at ten but no one really goes up here until they twelve when the downstairs out. bar closes right which is when I'm asleep right and yeah. you get it's like a vortex you get sucked into here really? and yeah and, and then next thing you know they're shutting the place down and you're like wait I, I, what time is it I can't even spell my name uh <laughs> like yeah you it's it's um it's a dangerous place for for jumpers that plan to visit here. Uh, you need to experience the upstairs bar, but be be be
3: wary. Do it when you know that there's weather the next day. Yeah, minute. you know the weather's <laughs> been
0: crap. And
2: Sounds stuff. like there's some hard lessons which have been learned for yeah. you guys up oh. <laughs> here.
3: I wouldn't say we learned anything. So
0: well, I haven't been coming here as long as, as you, but uh, it, but we have learned a few lessons at this bar for sure. <laughs> Somehow they still let us come back and even record up here on, yeah, on Supervised. Yeah, Charlie's pretty good like that, huh? Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. Head off to here.
2: That's awesome. So you had a you had a jump today, right? Yep. So the weather's crap today. Um, did a couple of jumps, just to sort of keep my finger in. But uh, it's a pretty average day in the valley. So mm. the choice was either reading or going doing a couple of jumps. And I thought, well, I can only read four or five hours a day, so I'll go and do a couple of jumps and get into the books after this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What, what'd you hit? Um, we just went up to the high nose. And the nice thing about it now, there's a little ramp in there. How is it? It's, per- it's perfect. They put it up after it's I got pretty it's amazing. Seven, yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. So, double thumbs up to the Swiss Base Association. Um, I know there's Whoop. people who aren't big on, you know, adjusting exit points. To keep them as they are, but that exit point has changed completely in the last it's seventeen eroded years. Eroded a lot, huh? Like it's, oh, totally. It's yeah, lost in the erosion. last five years, yeah. it's
3: completely different than when I started.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, if you want somewhere which is a little bit more user friendly, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, having a ramp, especially if you're on current or just getting into it, you know, it takes out some of the issues of, am I going to slip, or how comfortable am I pushing off aggressively on a piece of muddy ground? So I think it's a real thumbs up.
0: Nice. I uh, I appreciate. Um, so I appreciate the people that like. Uh, it's not an earth jump if you jump off a platform. Okay, fine. That's one perspective, but I appreciate. Um, that there's a now there's a platform at High Nose because a lot of people want to go to Via Ferrata for that. 100%. That, mm-hmm. And now and because Via Ferrata has hours that are not supposed to be jumped, uh, in addition to uh, High Ultimate. So you, um, you know, now that there's a ramp somewhere else, you can still get that consistency of a uh, a platform jump. You know if you're training for something and you uh, you want to progress uh, or have that like um, that consistency of of a platform yeah so you can
2: start off in the morning at steckelberg then when they call jumping for the paragliders Mm -hmm. you can come down the other side do a couple of jumps and then if you want shoot back in the afternoon so it just makes it user-friendly
0: yeah and it gives it gives guys options that are training or whatever you know so they can squeeze your gate
2: oh jesus (coughs) if you're gonna if you're gonna toss those lemons i'm gonna swim right Yeah, so. Boy, that really took a life out of its own, didn't it? Yeah.
3: <laughs> Everybody in the bass community is talking about it. There's yeah. no reason not to.
2: Yeah, I guess just... Uh, Don't there, be a so dick. There,
3: And there are hours of operate. I mean,
0: the rules we have in the valley are to keep the valley open, you know? So it's yeah, that has
2: to take precedence, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, rule number one is keeping it open and keeping it safe. Mm-hmm. And then there's a whole raft of stuff that you could debate for rule number two or objective number three.
0: Keeping other people mm-hmm. safe. Like, yep, totally. You know? Yep. I mean, it's like... I, I feel like you have the right to do whatever you want. You can, you can risk your own life all day long, but the second you risk someone else's life who is not uh, a willing participant of that uh, interaction like that's it's, it's game over stepping open. over the line yeah.
2: yeah i totally agree with you on that
3: and mm-hmm. even if you are going to i mean because base jumping has roots in you know rule breaking and being free yeah. and all that Wave other... The yeah the jolly roger woo <laughs> yeah so all of that aside you get caught you own up to it and you and you move on yeah totally instead of being a dick yeah. Don't be a cunt.
2: Yeah, I've fucked up. <laughs> I've upset some people. I'm really sorry. How do I go about making this right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think if some different language was used by a particular person, um, all the heat which is being generated at the moment might be turned down 100 degrees. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. I mean, there are other people who have jumped that ramp outside the hours that it's open and gotten called out on it by the paragliders. They're still jumping. They're yeah. still
0: welcome. Is there not persona non grata? Yeah. You know?
2: It's not a crucifying offence, yeah. no. No.
3: unless it, the reaction was the crucifying offence.
0: Well, and it was on, a, yeah. it was a repetitive thing. Like, like uh, it was it and was reaction, more yeah. than once. So it's like, uh, and more than one person, uh, like like uh, addressed it unsuccessfully. So, it is what it is. Yeah, Say la vie. Like, mm. But um, so uh. You had a a moment. I think it was. I just saw it on Instagram the other day. I was hoping you could talk through a uh, a a jump you did that um, you 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 weren't getting the performance you were looking for, and you you uh, used one of your outs. Um, could you talk through or give us some background and talk about your thought process on on that base jump? And and um, you know, um, I I really liked the post, so that's why I I, I want to bring it up. You I sure? want to hear it from your
2: your words. Yeah, so the background is last last summer I caught up with a couple of buddies. So Marcus Meyer, who's a super neat guy. So Marcus, if you're listening, thanks for all the advice, road tripping, et cetera. I love you, Marcus. Yeah, <laughs> and Tor. And they said, look, we'll take you out to Stockholm, which I'd never been to. And I had a look at some videos before we went out there. And I thought, yeah, it's maybe a touch and go for my skill set. But I'll have a look at it and then make a call at the exit point about whether I'm comfortable jumping it. And when we got out there at the particular exit point that we were using for Stockhorn, and I understand there's a couple of different ones. There were two lines, and I looked at the first line, and I said to Marcus, well, if I fly this line, that's where I'll impact. And I pointed to a bit of cliff. I said, I just don't have the skills or the confidence to get over that. So I'm taking that one off the table. But there's a second line, which I think I can fly, but it's a little bit, it's kind of marginal for me. So I'm not going to get myself caught into a situation. So if I think at any stage, I'm not going to be able to fly outside of this valley and do a left turn. I'm just going to open about halfway down, which would have been three or 500 feet off the ground. So it gave me a simple out. So I'd voiced that to the guys before I exited. And lo and behold, 13 or 14 seconds into the flight, I realized that it was going to be a touch and go to get to the end. So that was just a open prematurely and a 40-minute walk downhill. downhill. Stockhorn's still there. And maybe when I get my shit together and my flying's a bit better, go and revisit it <laughs> next summer.
3: All that yeah. work to stay quiet didn't work.
2: Yeah, that's um, Randy just pilfering the beer for <laughs> so Man, he can knock it. I, I am interested yeah, in this. I don't
3: need your cup. Oh, yeah. Need take
0: <laughs> uh, I need to open these. Just that's that's awesome that you had the um, the – so, as you were flying, having the wherewithal to know that you're not getting the performance that you're supposed to have or that you need for that jump um, what uh, let, let's I, I, I always want to pull those sort of indicators out like what what was um what was going through your mind when you're you're flying and you're like oh maybe I'm not getting what I want or maybe did you have sort of a, a red line like as far as um, Oh,
2: totally yeah so it was are you really comfortable that you can get to point x and if you're not really comfortable at any stage then damn, you're going to have to open and walk downhill for 40 minutes. And that point was sort of 14 or 15 seconds into Mm -hmm. the flight. And it was like, eh, it's marginal. I've got a 40-minute walk. And an hour later, you're having a cold beer. 40-minute walk and you're still alive. Well, having a cold beer with your buddies and having some fun. You know, and you think about it and you look at your exit and go, eh, exit was a little bit steep and there's a bit to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's 100% pilot error. You know, that jump was outside of my skill set.
3: Yeah. But at least you had decision points. Oh, totally. Before yeah. the you ever stepped off the cliff, you'd already said, okay, look, I'm going to try and do this. If it's not working out, I have a backup plan. Instead of, I'm going for this. Come hell or high yeah, water. I think I got this. No worries. And then going for it.
2: Nah. no, nah, no, nah, Don't do things like that.
0: <laughs> and because that was the first time you jumped that spot, um, I, I'd imagine you asked Marcus a lot of questions. Um what what was sort of uh, the thought process, you know, as you were assessing, you know, you, you touched on it a bit, like if I fly to the right, yeah, that's where I'm going to impact. But where, um what what else goes into your, um, I guess, decision-making uh, factors, you know, with jumping?
2: Well, that's a massive question, isn't it? <laughs> um,
0: it doesn't have to be all inclusive, you know, just like yeah. whatever comes to mind.
2: So for me, like I'm a pretty conservative jumper, so I'm not technical, I'm not sharp, But there's some things that I just won't do. One of them is getting killed, getting to an exit point. So fuck, I'm not going to climb up something sketchy. I'm not going to get to an exit point and then have something which is not correct with my gear. That's just garbage, you know. That's what idiots do. That sounds pretty hard. Um, So for me, there's sort of two crux points in a jump. The first is nailing your exit. I don't want to slip. You can define slip however it is. Bad push. Um, Exit point giving away. So I'm touching it. I'm looking at it. I'm real guarded with it all. And then the second part is the flight. You know, can I do this comfortably with a wide margin? So when everything does go wrong, there's still enough margin to make it successful. And then obviously the last part of the jump is you know, opening and being able to put your canopy down somewhere safely. And the nice thing with the suit which I'm wearing, and this isn't really a plug for the guys at Squirrel because I'm sure you've got the same with any other supplier, is that particular suit is really easy to open. So I feel comfortable. You know, There's no fear with the suit.
3: So, how do you how do you find your heading performance? Because one of the things that has been in the back of my head for a while now is crazy line twists and crazy off headings and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, so it, it's a hard one because you have to have a metric. So, what am I comparing it to? You know, am I comparing it to the heading performance of say yourself? Mm-hmm. And you go, how often do you end up with line twists? And you're one in a hundred, and I'm one in eighty. You know, can you draw any validity from that? That's hard. Um, I've done just over two hundred jumps on my OSP. I've had a couple of jumps, two literally with line twists. That's it. That's it. And sucked, plenty, right? yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. plenty of plenty of nineties, right? Plenty of nineties, <laughs> bunch of one twenties, but only a couple where there's been line twists and it's never been problematic, you know, you can turn it around. And I attribute that to my piloting. You know, get on the risers quicker, opening too hard and you're being pendulumed under your canopy. So if I had a bit of skill set, I could probably have event, uh, prevented both of those events. So yeah, turkey pilot. Mm.
0: Yeah, I've had line twists on pretty much every canopy I've ever jumped. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's clearly it's me. I don't blame you. equipment. Only does what you tell it to do, right? Yeah, I'm, hey, so. I'm touching
2: wood because tomorrow I'll probably get really bad <laughs> line <laughs> 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 twist. Yeah, like, Fuck up, be set you. up here. Every <laughs> jump I
3: have, I'm like, oh. Where am I going to open up so when I have line twists, I'll be okay.
2: (laughs) Don't you hate that, line twists and, yeah. Yeah.
3: Have you had any other malfunctions?
2: Um, No. So the only gear issue, and I'll put this one out there because someone else might do the same, is my harness container hasn't been sized correctly for me. So in order to prevent the yoke being... In the middle of the back of my head i need to tighten my leg straps up pretty tight to pull it down so even when the leg straps are pinched tight there's a little bit of movement and i had one jump i think it was this easter where my boc wasn't sitting where it should be and i pitched symmetrically so my right hand comes in and my left hand comes in and my left hand felt the wall the sidewall of my container And I was able to shift the container back into the place where it should be and had a completely uneventful opening. That took probably a second to rectify. And when I landed, the first thing I did was check my leg straps and there was a little bit of slack in them. And it made me think, I wonder who else has exited and they haven't really cinched up some leg straps and there's just been a little bit of play. And that harness container's moved up two inches on their back. Still easy to get your BOC, But your mindset and your muscle memory, it's not there. And then the panic starts and it all goes pear-shaped. So I just wondered or thought, gee, has there been a no pull where it was from something as simple as cinching the leg straps up. So they're done up, you'd never notice it when you're taking the rig off the person. But it was just those two or three inches that just let it move to the left or move up. Mm -hmm.
0: Sure. I I was talking to a guy not that long ago that uh, had a climbing harness on to get down i think it was for low ultimate but uh um he thought he was geared up correctly because he could feel the the um the harness pulling into him the legs the leg straps were on but they weren't tight and so he right. couldn't he couldn't yeah. actually when he when he opened couldn't make sure actually, the rises. Re- reaching was weird because the the the, the, uh, the rig moved on his back Tightly. he got that figured out i th- and i think he ended up reaching through yeah, it's the, the opposite side. that I'm thinking about. He yeah, reached yeah.
1: With his, pulled with his left hand Whoa. because like it, it moved was so that far much. off of his back. Yeah, and exactly. Mode yeah. And pitched with his left hand. And
0: then, and you know, could, couldn't really reach anything because he was so, so he low, was like low, low in enough. his yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: But Very lucky and uninjured, but yeah. could have gone way different.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's real consideration, those leg straps, you know. Yeah, most aviation accidents. They're optional. <laughs> 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 it's always pilot error, isn't it? Right. Like sometimes it's just bad luck most of the time, it's someone doing something fundamentally mm-hmm. simple, doing it in a wrong way. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Yeah, and I also know someone that forgot their leg straps on a wingsuit skydive, and the wingsuit kept
2: them in the suit. Yeah, that's and just it's a, a so, horror story. Yeah, yeah, I'm really paranoid about that because I had a mate back in 1990, um, Jed Brady. Red, Kiwi.
0: The Reds won the World Series. That year. <laughs> Go- Google it.
2: <laughs> yeah, so Jed went skydiving up in Hawaii. 1991, and he didn't do his chest strap up, and the guy fell out of his gear, and he was able to catch his rig through a leg strap, and he held on to that rig for however long until someone opened for him, pulling the rig out of his hand. So Jeb literally, that's how he got killed up in Hawaii back in 1991. Wow. So... Yeah, so that's always sort of in the back of your mind, so mm-hmm. that's something I won't do. <laughs> oh,
0: chest strap, leg straps. I'm always like chest straps, handles, total. Strap, handles uh, all the Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like OCD, like it look like a I don't
2: know. Nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah. yeah.
3: I I started the like I just do top to bottom. It starts with helmet goggles, chest strap, chest strap, leg straps. Yeah,
2: handles. we went through a phase back home where people would get into the aircraft and they wouldn't have the chest straps done up. Like mm-hmm. why? So one of the guys in our team said, "Look, fuck, let's lead by example." So when we're on the plane, give everyone else on the team a gear check. So yes, I can see that my cutaway handle's tucked out. I can see my rip cords in. Yeah, I know my chest. But we physically checked everyone, not because we needed to, but it was to try and sit, you know, lead by example. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, you're sitting in the aircraft and everyone's got their chest strap up. So it's
0: like, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've observed. Someone checking a chest strap, and it just, bloop, it comes right out. And it's like, oh. You yeah, know, that's a horror very story, very isn't it? It's <laughs> hey, a, day of a yeah, bad day. I yeah, don't want bad days. I think that rated a leg slap on the day it happened. but
2: And a beer in the bar afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Do we
0: want to move into the uh, the actual, the the guaranteed
2: questions? Take it away. We that have that another one? bite on the beer. Yeah, take a sip
0: while I uh, look these up. Okay, so we already covered your favorite book, um, so we'll, we'll move on from that one. What, what is? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you have a favorite or podcast that you listen to?
2: Yeah, this is really embarrassing again, guys, but you can probably guess it. So BBC History Magazine, and for those Americans, BBC is the British Broadcasting Corporation, have a history magazine that I subscribe to, and they have podcasts, and I listen to their podcasts occasionally. <laughs> And then there's a couple of medical journals that also have, like, podcasts, mm. and they cover things off in 60 seconds or a few minutes. So JAMA, New England Journal of Medicine, some of that stuff I touch into, yeah.
0: So so do you listen to uh, professional podcasts even, like, say, when you're when you're not at work or just for uh, no, totally. professional development? Yeah, yeah,
2: because I've got a genuine interest in some of these mm. things. So even though I work in the area of cardiovascular medicine, I thoroughly enjoy it. So when I'm at this conference in Paris with 30,000 other people – Man, I'm just lapping it up. You know, I'm going to sessions on exercise physiology and how does the heart of an endurance athlete differ from a normal person? What do their coronary arteries look like? What's the atria doing? Why does it look different? What's happening at a cellular level? So I just soak that up like a geek, man. You know, just like some people swill cold beer. I Mm. just enjoy that. So I'm always trying to keep on top of it.
3: That's fantastic. What is the answer there?
2: (laughs) Don't smoke. Exercise more.
3: So... What always blows me away is the uh, anecdotes of, like, marathon runners who drop dead from
2: cardiovascular disease. Yep, totally. How? Why? Yeah, okay. So that's a really big question. So the biggest determinant of what your health is going to be like in the future is your parents, because you've inherited their genes. You kind of look like your mum or your dad, and your physiology largely reflects that. So you've been dealt a hand and all you can do is play the hand that you've been dealt the best that you can. So there's some things you can do, like don't smoke. Okay, so for all the Europeans out there that smoke, please don't smoke. You have no idea how bad it is for you. Um, then you've got another couple of buckets, haven't you? That, yeah, <laughs> Randy's, say, Randy's
3: reaching for some tobacco. I was going to say, three weeks into no tobacco. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Just, I give you a quit. double thumbs up. Now it's, now it's on the podcast. So now you, everybody, all ten people that listen to this are going to be able to call me out if, I, if I'm smoking. <laughs> yeah, so
2: back to your question in 30 seconds or less. So you're stacking things in your favour, but it's no guarantee. Like you can still wear a seatbelt, but you can still get killed in a car accident, but the seatbelt's going to help. So generally most people, most cardiologists would recommend doing a bit of exercise. Yep. And then there's some comments around what you should eat, which at the moment is the big hot topic you know, what sort of diet is an optimal diet, and that just goes on week after week, hour after hour. And changes each time. Yeah, so that marathon runner who dropped dead at 43, potentially if he wasn't running marathons, and the good example is Jim Fix. So Jim Fix is the guy who popularised running in the 70s. Jim Fix died out running probably in the late 70s, early 80s, from cardiovascular disease. Why did he die early? Well, his father actually died early. His father died in his 50s. So now what we know is he might have had a genetic issue, so an issue, a condition called familial hypercholesterolemia, where he had very high cholesterol levels. And a lot of these people die prematurely from coronary artery disease, but maybe is running boredom an extra year or two and potentially a better quality of life.
3: Yeah. And so my question for you would be do you, so now that everybody's doing 23andMe and getting their genetic makeup
2: yeah out. oh mate don't get me done on that <laughs> i want to know because like oh, people, no please are, go. <laughs> are all the conspiracy
3: theories out there they're like don't get your genetic makeup figured yeah. out because that's exactly what we're going to figure out mm-hmm. and then insurance and all yeah the totally the, the the slippery slope yeah. argument of you're you're in trouble in yeah. the future
2: yes yeah, so that's again that's a big question i've got some pretty firm thoughts on it the nice thing about 23 and G, sorry 23 and me is now you can get a readout which helps interpret some of the information and put it into layman's language. The issue is most laymen still don't have the skills to make a meaningful interpretation of the results. So they might say something t- to you like, Randy, you are APOE. And you like, what the fuck's APOE? Well, people that are APOE have an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. So, you know, senile dementia. So sort of simplifying things a little bit.
0: I think he's calling me a bad word. Just a dumb covering. fuck, yeah. Yeah. Dumb
2: fuck. <laughs> You're at <laughs> okay. a high risk Yeah. For so it means it you might have an increased risk But it doesn't mean you're going to develop the, the condition And you need to look at what your baseline risk is You know, Is it 1 in 100 and it now goes to 1 in 25 So is that good information To have or bad information And if there's nothing you can do about it Is it just going to make you worry So it's the golden question isn't it If someone could tell you the day that you were going to die Would you want to know it You know, Would you want to know that in 2047, you have a stroke. And some people would and some people wouldn't. I'd say yes. So that's sort of, yeah, okay. So it's another level of information that you might want to have to try, try and help you with your decision making about whether you'd want to progress with 23andMe. And for me, I've got no desire to want to know what my genetic profile is.
3: Do you go for regular checkups? Do you yep. know your like blood work? I oh, totally cholesterol yeah, yeah. And everything? So.
2: For me, I went and got a blood workup, so I know what my LDL cholesterol is, my HDL, HbA1c for diabetes. And it's all normal, sort of what you'd expect for a normal white male that eats a reasonable diet with fish and fruit and vegetables. And they said, your blood pressure's through the roof. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, I eat a good diet, I exercise. Your do muscle-ups. Yeah, I'm <laughs> working on my muscle-ups. So they put a monitor on me for a day, which records your blood pressure. And it turns out that when my blood pressure's being taken, I'm nervous, and it's elevated, even though I know what's happening. I can describe what's happening to my brachial artery. And it's called white-collar hypertension. So they said, actually, your blood pressure is normal. And I then said to my GP, that's the last time I'm having a cholesterol check or a blood pressure test. I'll see you in another 20 years. that That was about five or six years ago.
3: (laughs) Unless I'm coming in horizontal.
2: That's it, yeah, yeah
0: they uh They took my blood pressure a million times when I was in the hospital you know for the seven days for this broken leg and they uh they took it shortly after I got off the phone with my insurance agents oh, really? <laughs> the right. uh, yeah they were like uh you this looks a like uh 'cause normal you know they had done it so many times before and it was a at a certain whatever level yeah. and then it was, uh, elevated to say the least and, uh, they, they noticed it. And I was like, Oh, well, no, I just got to throw my insurance agency. I'm sure it'll be fine in a little bit. Um, <laughs> but that all sort of, it's a Yeah, of stress but, all lifted up. Huh? Mm, yeah. 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 But I, I could even feel it. Like I was like, um, you, you know, when you have one of those conversations where it's not going the direction you want it to all the and, time, uh, every day at yeah. work. <laughs> That's yeah, the issue with
2: right. working for a corporate and being in middle management. Everyone's mm-hmm. above you, telling you what to do. It's like, fuck, come on. Yeah,
0: that's cool. Both my parents uh, did twenty-three and Me, so it's like I don't, I kind of don't have to do it because I've, I've seen both of their data. Mm-hmm. You know, so I know where I'm, I know where I'm coming from. But as if there aren't enough agencies and government, whatever people that have my DNA as it is. Uh,
2: yeah, I've got no issues with privacy, man. Yeah, you got my information same. to build up a data set and mm-hmm. gather information. Go for it.
0: Yeah. God knows what my phone's hearing anyways. So yeah. it's everything's, There's no privacy left.
3: Mm. It brings up a, another interesting question that I saw on the internet, which was, would you rather know when you're going to die or how? You have to choose one.
2: Yeah. I, I guess the nice thing about how is if someone said to me, you're going to die base jumping. I'd leave my rig here and I'd get on a plane and go back home.
3: Yeah, set that mm-hmm.
0: bitch on fire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck you. You oh Jarvis won Grim for zero. <laughs> yeah, I'd beat that fucker <laughs> another
2: 30 years until he gets me with a stroke or a heart attack or bowel cancer, fucker. Yeah, so I'd take uh, cause of death. If it's a great white shark, I'm not going in the ocean.
0: Fair enough. We should add that.
3: I want to add that that question to the list, maybe. So you should definitely start watching the uh, celebrities a- answer the Internet. It's oh, yeah, yeah, button. No, we were watching that
0: before you moved out. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah.
3: just a bunch of crazy questions off the Internet that are really – some of them are actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Show notes.
0: Yeah, I'll add a link to that for sure. So we hit the – so BBC is uh, one of your favorite – podcast um, how Have you have? What's your history of injury uh, pr- related to base or otherwise? Depending.
2: Um, yep. So good question. So skydiving hurt my knee once. Hobbled. Um, quite a bit of pain. Got away with it. Back jumping in the states. a Month later, doing hundred ways. Woohoo! That was fun. Um, so that's, that sounds stressful to me. Yeah. So that's <laughs> too many canopies in the sky. <laughs> so that's about as bad as skydiving's been and base. This is embarrassing, man. This is so embarrassing. But um, I broke my wrist at Brento. So, yeah, turbulence. Always put it on the pilot. So shitty piloting skills. Um, and I put a hairline fracture in my iliac crest, which is on your hip, which meant I hobbled for a little bit, and that was it. And I was out of jumping for two or three days. So my wrist fracture was really small, so I got back jumping three days later. But it was pretty painful with the tramadol yeah that's that's not too bad just three days for a broken wrists and yeah so that was a really small fracture about the size of a fingernail but it hurt <laughs> all right so let's lock, knock on some more wood right
3: yeah no no serious line twists no broken bones neil i'm i'm, I'm nervous for you Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow
2: i'll be on that right. exit point that i've been on 200 times before and i'll be thinking shit what's coming up
0: yeah, well, Laura and I are good. We're not base jumping this weekend, so the, the rest of you guys are, it's on, it's on it's you. So Dan Hoffman. Who knows? Yeah. I'll knock on wood for all of you. That's funny. But, uh, so, um, so this, this one is a, uh, it gets hard, this question gets hard for me to ask, but, um, if you could do one more jump with someone from the BFL, uh, who would it be?
2: Who, it's a tough one, eh? bit of a pause right we're all thinking about our buddies Mm -hmm. Mm um so i've got a bunch of friends on there
0: yeah i would imagine (laughs) like here
2: i'd probably go with dan out to candlestick
0: dan vickery Yeah.
2: yeah yeah the reason for that is we did a really cool jump one day with um a good crew of people and just joking, coming back, you know, soaking up the sun. It was a really cool day. Yeah. So, not a very huh, cohesive answer. What really annoyed me was the week before his accident, we'd been talking on the phone, and Feral calls me the Jewish treasurer because I'm so tight with my money. Everyone knows I'm fucking miserable <laughs> with money. And Dan said, oh, I'll pick you up from Interlaken. And I'm like, woohoo, I'll save four francs. <laughs> so, I fucking had to front up with another four francs, and. Uh, we we're going to be catching up, do some jumps, drink some beer, and talk about wing seats, So, yeah, on the flip side.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He he had a, a huge influence on us. I mean, without Dan, like there would be no VBG. You know, totally. So, yeah. so the yeah. nice
2: thing is, you know, when Dan and Lisa arrived here, it was like, "Who? What? Cool, we're here. What can we do?" And then, mm-hmm. sort of, VBG fell out of that, and it yeah. just seems to have gone from strength to strength. Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah yeah I, I think he'd be proud of what's what's going on you know of course we'd all trade that for having him back obviously oh, what, 100%, thousand know, yeah. percent yeah but yeah 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 thanks for that no, um problem. so i've got a question from our last guest do you um so did you prepare a question
2: no i haven't no no so all fill right. me in
0: uh, okay well i so i, I sent you um Sorry. So, so now it's fine. Um, but, um, so, so this part is where the previous guest has a question for the next guest, and most of the time I don't know who the next guest is going to be. So it's complete, just uh, random it's, one. It's, it's a, it's a crapshoot. And so Jamie Flynn was our, our, uh, our last guest. Yeah.
2: So I know the guy. I never met him. Sounds like a really nice right. guy. Well, Jamie's got a
0: question for you. Uh, thanks, um, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> don't thank him yet. Oh. <laughs> So I'm going to see if I can uh, play this real
1: quick for you. What is your main drive to base jump? I don't want to hear some bullshit like I want to fly with the birds or anything like this. What is your main drive that you continue to do this sport? And not just some generic shit. I want to know the deep meaning of what makes you keep going back to a cliff and going against your human instincts and jumping off it regularly.
2: Ooh, that's pretty deep, isn't it? So we've yeah. got to peel away a few layers here. Oh,
0: we, we recorded for like three hours. Um, was it, say, was, it was a good one.
2: Was that at the beginning or end? No, that was
0: at the end. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: You'll hear me. It's even worse. but or, Anyways.
2: Okay, so, so the question really is deep, deep down, why do you go jumping? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me it's nothing to do with flying with the birds and shit like that. So for me, I like challenges, right? So I think everyone likes a challenge, and people like different challenges. If I went an intellectual challenge, I can get that out of a book. I can go and learn something. I can read something. And my job requires me to keep on top of some stuff. But there's nothing in there which is physically stressful. I walk up a flight of stairs. So if I want a physical challenge, I go for a run, go to the gym, do some chin-ups. And at 53, I can still do 20 chin-ups. Yeah, got that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's nothing that tests me mentally, you know, really cranks the dial up and scares the hell out of me. And the good thing about base jumping is I can do something that scares me every time. And every time you think, fuck, I'll be glad when this is over with. And then you're on the ground, it's like, woohoo, that was fun. Let's go and do another one. So you kind of cover all the bases, don't you? So you can test yourself physically, go for a run, lift a weight, whatever it is. You can extend yourself intellectually if you want to, and you don't have to. Everyone's different. But in terms of reaching deep into your soul and going, you know, where's my breaking point? You can find that with very few sports. You know, I guess someone who climbs up a mountain, you know, they find that. They know that abject terror. Maybe you get it cave diving. Maybe you get it base jumping. So the nice thing is when you go and get terrified and you can do it again and again, you go, actually, there's a little bit more to me than the little 70 kilo skinny white guy from auckland new zealand than uh, some skin and bone so that's uh, that's it for me that's aw-
0: that's awesome yeah we uh did it tick the box jamie yeah <laughs> no, not online is it? <laughs> right what do you think of that one jamie <laughs> but that so um yeah i like that and that's something I'm, I'm actually struggling with uh i wouldn't say struggling but uh learning about myself because I've, i have such a long uh vacation from base jumping is that i find that i'm not uh as sharp sometimes like i, right. I need that and base jumping keeps me um it keeps me hungry and it keeps me f- like uh focused you know trying to stay alive assessing things and, yeah. and it's when, like when a you shower re-
2: in the morning isn't it when you wake mm-hmm. up you know you wake up and don't have a shower you're kind of foggy all day yeah you Go BASE jumping, sure like right. okay game on
0: yeah and uh and and right now like i've been looking for things to to help keep me sharp uh, be, while i'm not jumping um but yeah yeah thanks for that yeah so if you had a question if you wanted to ask a uh a future guest something it doesn't have to be based it can be a, a question about quite literally
2: anything what's yeah it's, it's a tough one on the spur of the moment isn't it so i might give you one and i'll think about it and i might flick you an email mm. <laughs> but on the spur of the moment if you weren't base jumping, so let's assume you couldn't base jump for whatever reason, what would you be doing as a substitute? And the reason I ask that is because I'm at the end of my base career. I'm not at the midpoint. I'm not at the start. You know, I'm close to wrapping it up. And I'm struggling to find something to fill the gap. And I think, okay, well, I want to see my buddies who live in Europe, and I live in New Zealand, the other side of the way, other side of the world, I could come out here and go skiing in the winter. I'd still see them, or I could learn how to paraglide, and I could still see them. So it's what would sort of fill the gap and still allow you to scratch the itch. Yeah, good question. Good question. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't
0: wait to hear what the next guest says. You know, for that. Uh, I know for myself you know, cause I'm in a position where I can't base jump right now. I, I filled that little gap with, uh, yoga in the mornings yep. and, uh, yeah, hanging out. Like I still come down here. I still get to do like 85% of what I, what brings me to the Valley. You know, it's, it's the people and the family and okay. the, uh, just being able to hang out in those interactions. The only thing I'm missing right now is the jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I've started doing some yoga. I keep, I, I keep toying with like one of my other passions is uh, mixed martial arts, like mostly watching. I don't like getting hit in the face. <laughs> um, but because of the nature of my injury and like I, I have less dexterity in my left foot right now, mm-hmm. like I'm actually toying with, with, uh, maybe joining like a boxing gym or like doing some right. boxing too. Cause if you look at fighters, the people with the best footwork are usually boxers and, um, uh, uh boxers so it's like i, I i'm not too keen on kicking right now with this metal in, in there and all the 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 other sensations i get just just walking it, it's, it's like funny. i don't want to kick he-,
2: he mentioned boxing like mm-hmm. i don't know a thing about boxing in fact i couldn't fight my way out of a wet paper bag but um there's a mike tyson quote that i love mike tyson's quote is everyone's got a plan until i punch them in the mouth mm-hmm. <laughs> i love that Yeah, I think you've got to have an interest and a focus, and Mm -hmm. when you meet people that are interesting, usually there's something just a little bit different about them, and it's not whether they're a base jumper or whatever, Mm -hmm. but usually there's something that requires a bit of drive and commitment from them, and then you've got some common ground, and it could be someone who's into, I don't know, marathon running, Mm -hmm. but they know what it's like to get out of bed at 6 o'clock and do the hard yards. And work
0: for something. Yeah, Yeah, it
2: could be someone who plays a violin, and they practice two hours every day. And like, I know nothing about fucking violins, but you can still respect their commitment. So I think having a passion and something that you look forward to, you know, you're thinking about your next trip, you're thinking about your next jump, you're thinking about the next triathlon that you might be doing, you know, there's purpose, but so many people just seem to be aimless. Now you know, the yeah. clock's ticking and it's like, well, what did you do in the last year that caused you to go, woohoo, now, that was a fucking ride. Right. And so many people don't have that and it's, oh, it's purpose sad. Purpose
0: is so important, right? Yeah, even that, and that's why I like the even the the early days, like having like working toward my base number. It was like, well, I had a, a goal, you know, and then I got my base number, and I was like, well, now what do I do? And it's <laughs> you know? like, oh, well. And that's what
2: I like yeah. about Dukes. So forget mm-hmm. Dukes as a base jumper. So Dukes get fucked. Wait, Dougs base jumps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he does a whole bunch of other stuff, and he's good at it. You know, he's a good surfer. Yeah. He's a good skier. He's into his paragliding. So he spreads himself across a whole bunch of disciplines. Mm-hmm. So for me, I don't see him as a base jumper. I just see him as a guy that's doing a whole bunch of other things, and I give him a double thumbs up. Mm-hmm. So he's multi-talented.
0: And maybe that's why like Sam, uh, Sam and Dukes get along so well with uh, like learning to base jump because Sam's another guy where like I see when he uh, applies himself, it's 100%. Like you don't see him go halfway in anything. Like I, I've watched him do things that he's he was new to at the time, and you just see that extreme focus and that like I'm I'm going to do this and I'm going to be the best I can be at it right you know, Yeah. yeah it's it's so right. important to have focus and, and like a purpose
2: yeah so for me it's I more don't. important to get a muscle up in the gym than it is to fly my wingsuit better at the moment
0: yeah, for for the uninitiated
2: what is a muscle up okay so y- you jump up to a chin up bar and you do your chin up kind of and then you rotate your upper body over the bar and press upwards so your hands are extended mm. so it's a combination of a chin up and a dip and it's not strength specific because there's a whole bunch of skill in doing that transition movement and fuck I can't do it and it's bloody humbling when I see these little girls in our gym and it's no disrespect to the woman doing them and making them look beautiful and I'm just like a fucking clown. So yeah, it's my it's my priority. It's a, <laughs> it's yeah. like but
3: I think we figured out I think we figured out the uh, what's gonna give you the breakthrough.
2: Yeah, it's that transition. It could be the rings. Go to the rings. Yeah, yeah. I'll get he's, some coaching he's doing it on the bar
3: to start.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, the bar is way harder because the the uh, mm-hmm. movement. Yeah. With, with the rings, you can extend your arms a little and get a little more range of motion and uh and use a little more back and a little more shoulder right. sorry i used to i used to do like kipping uh um, oh, nice okay cool yeah, like, we'll, we'll talk more after this yeah, yeah <laughs> well and right now i doubt i could do a muscle up last time i tried i was actually in the seychelles and i was not sober uh and it did not go well okay um but <laughs> luckily no one was recording if they had been recording i probably would have eaten shit but um uh yeah back when i was uh, in the crossfit cult we uh yeah we do muscle ups all the time. Like.
2: Yeah, so um, we're going to talk about this. So my goal, publicly stated, is I am going to do a muscle up. God help me! <laughs> nice.
3: By the way, yeah, a a good goal is following the SMART method: uh-huh. so specific, measurable, accurate, realistic, real, and time bound. Realistic and timely. Okay, Blind so studying marketing. By the way, I'm in school, so yeah, I had I'm to listen to
2: listen to him last night. I think he's going to do well. Okay, so I'll give myself two months. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I think that's that's absolutely reasonable. Especially with you. I mean, you're fit, man. You look great. For an old I, guy. I, 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 That's what
2: Olek tells me. He says, you're not old. You just look old. <laughs> and I've wanted to check him out for the last 12 years, but I've just shown restraint.
0: That's funny. It's like, yeah. It's like, I, I pray to God I look as good as you when uh, when I get to that.
2: Well, you're kind of cute I, yourself, buddy. Right? But I'm straight. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't like
0: thank you but, but you can't see <laughs> blushing in a podcast <laughs> especially from the
2: dark place that we're running
0: <laughs> yeah but awesome well neil thank you so much for uh it's sitting down with us. having me this yeah. has been you know a, a great a great experience and uh i i genuinely appreciate like your your friendship and um, you. and for uh, you know being a part of our Sky family cool. and uh, great to be here. Yeah. And you can't always like you can't measure the influence people have, you know, and or or that you have on other people, but you've certainly had a, a strong influence on me and, and oh, I'm sure Brian and Tim. So it's nice um, to hear. yeah, so thank you for that. And um that being said, this has been ge- oh sorry, before uh gentlemen, do we have, do you have anything you want to add, Tim, Brian? All right. Well this has been a Base Life podcast. We're out.
2: Thank you. You
0: All right. If you want to know more about our guests, just check out the show notes. And if you want to give us some feedback or reach out to us, you can hit us at baselife2014 at gmail.com, facebook.com backslash the baselife. And on Instagram, we're at base.life. All right. Thanks.